This is the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything there was, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
Thank you, Michael. I think it's interesting that week on week here, you know, we talk about spirituality and peace and, and all that sort of thing. And then we have to go out into the world and we're faced with all that life has to throw us. You know, I think it's one thing to be interested in these ideas and quite another to actually embody them in our lives. And, you know, we're coming up to Christmas, and the key message of Christmas is one of incarnation, which means embodied in flesh. We get the word carnivore from it. You know, incarnation is the spirit made flesh. Um, and that's, you know, what we look at in Christmas, about the spirit being made flesh and to embody these ideas that we're talking about is to make them flesh in the world around us. And you know, I have to do that in my life. You know, there's no point in me spouting off all these ideas if I'm not actually living them out in my life. I can't say that, you know, we should all let go of the outcomes in our lives and live in the present if really I'm not prepared to do that myself. I like to say, you know, that I'm in it to the death, which really means that, you know, there's no cutting and running, you know, if the, tough, if the going gets tough in my life. And interestingly enough, I was faced with this the other day, recently, when I found a lump. Now, you know, you know how you check yourself out. You never expect to find anything, you know. So I went to the doctor, and they said, well, we better check this out, and if it's cancer, we'll decide what to do next. Well... They had me at the word cancer at that particular point. And, you know, my reaction was interesting, I found. You know, I, I didn't go into a major worry. What came up for me was, well, if that happens, then I won't have to look after everything. I can just be ill. <laughs> and somebody else will have to deal with it all. You know, I had this sense that I was going to, you know, it was, I saw this picture where I no longer had to sort of worry or look after things like that. And, you know, there was a part of me that really was prepared to go with it. Well, luckily, you know, I had a scan and they said it was nothing. It was just a cyst. And the doctor said they didn't want to see me again. But, but it, it was kind of interesting, you know, to face the possibilities, you know, getting your life in order, making sure I still had health insurance in the UK. Um, but there's definitely, you know, a sense, there was a sense of going with it. You know, we never know when something's going to hit us and we're going to be tested. In a sense, you know, we have to be ready for it at all times. And you can't, you know, just be holier than thou as you live your life and then something comes along and you throw it up in the air and you sort of run for the hills at that particular point, you know, when something difficult comes along. And if you're going to live by a set of values and principles, then I think you have to see it through in all situations. They have to be, I think, these, these principles, they have to be grounded in a reality 
that's not just a fair-weather reality. You know, I often think that religion is often an, an idealized, fabricated reality that we have up here, that we just relate to. Jesus is my friend and will look after me. And then I get ill and Jesus doesn't heal me. What then? How do I deal with that? If you're going to live by those set of principles, then you have to see it through in those situations. And if you've got a robust set of principles that includes the light and the shadow, you know, that it can include the rough with the smooth, then you've got a principle that's grounded in a reality of life that makes sense and supports us. If you've got that, how do you deal with challenging situations when they come up. And you know, I think family gatherings are just those sort of situations. They say that you can choose your friends, but you cannot choose your family. And at Thanksgiving, we are really thrown into the mix. You know, we come together with people who might not have the same ideas as we do, about politics or religion or traditions that have strong views about the way that things ought to be, that maybe don't have the same standards that we do, that want to cut the turkey one way, whereas we want to cut the turkey the other way, you know, which can lead to conflict. And I think, you know, that's where we get tested. The parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, I think it's so like Thanksgiving. You know, the son comes back after taking his inheritance and whooping it up in the city and completely failing. And he wants his family to support him again. The father welcomes him with open arms, but the elder brother is totally pissed. You know, it's a typical Thanksgiving situation. You know, there's a meal and the family are all together. The dad's giving thanks. You know, and the older son is sulking in the kitchen, doing the washing up, <laughs> while the dad makes free with the younger son, who's wasted all the family's money. You know, it may be not be typical, but you, know, you can see where I'm going. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, in England, Christmas, you know, they're actually a huge time of stress. And in a way, in America, you're lucky, because you have Thanksgiving, because it, it dilutes it a bit. But in Christmas, you know, in England, it's all about Christmas. Everything, it all builds up. And it starts, all the holidays rolled into one in England. And the advertising starts right after Guy Fawkes, which is another sermon in itself. But that's November, <laughs> where we burn people. You know, that's November the 5th. And you know, you go into the shops after November the 5th, and everything is Christmas. And you know, all the advertising, the advertising in England for Christmas is like the Super Bowl advertising. You know, there are famous Christmas ads, like there are famous Super Bowl ads here. Famous Christmas ads, and all the ads are saying, you better give your family the perfect Christmas, otherwise they'll never forgive you. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're saying, you know, buy your children all the toys because, you know, they deserve it. You know, Father, it's all about that. And it's huge, the pressure to make it right. You know, people go into huge debt just so that they can, you know, they don't feel bad about their children. So, of course, when Christmas Day comes along, and it's bound to be an anticlimax. And on top of it all, 
you've got alcohol. <laughs> and everything that goes with that, you know. And it's the same here at Thanksgiving. It's a recipe for disaster, <laughs> an anticlimax. And you know, in England, in England during Christmas, domestic abuse spikes over that time by 25%. You know, it's a huge issue. You know, the disappointment that comes, the, the arguments that come. And I'm sure the pressures are the same here with Thanksgiving, which is why I think it's so important to be conscious over this period of time, to see where we're being drawn into something personally and to let go of the desire to react or to exacerbate the situation, but to take that pain and hurt whatever it is, and respond somehow in a loving way. And we really have to be on our guard because, you know, those feelings come up so quickly. They just come up in the moment. Something like, you know, a phrase like, who's going to do the washing up then? You know, it can lead to a minefield of responses and defensiveness and accusations. And it's not just about calming things down and being the sensible one. It's about, I think, being conscious enough to feel your way through a situation and enable there to be a loving outcome, you know, that wouldn't have been there without you. You know, to just to enable yourself to feel what's going on and respond. And, you know, I know for myself that the home environment is one of the most testings. You know, we always have guests at Christmas. Not because, you know, only because it's good to share, but also the children behave much better when they're aware of witnesses. <laughs> they behave, they're not here, thank goodness. They behave much better when there are witnesses around, you know. But sometimes, you know, people feel that with family, it's okay to come out with whatever. You know, or it can be under the surface, which can be even worse. You know, there's that pressure that's going on. And I think, you know, being conscious is about being willing to be, you know, to deeply rest in the present moment. To be able to rest in that present moment and share that peace with those around you. And to see the tendency to respond to comments with defensiveness or to snap back with something clever. You know, to let an agreement, a disagreement turn into an argument or to be aloof when you disapprove. You know, just that look that you give. That you don't have to say it. They just know that when you give that look, there's a whole paragraph that goes with it. <laughs> you know, the prodigal son completely failed in his attempt you know, to live on his own. And must have come back with a tail between his legs. But his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father pleaded with him. Look, all these years I've been slaving with you, said the older brother. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. That wonderful sense of compassion that he had for both of the sons. Compassio, to suffer with. That's what it means. And really, that's what it's required around Thanksgiving, is to suffer with whatever is going on in people's lives. Our role is to have compassion on those around us and show 
that example to whoever is the equivalent of the older brother, to bring that sense of peace and love into the environment of our homes by us embodying it. And if we have relationships that are stuck, and we know sometimes that we do, well, you know, these times are a real opportunity to transform them. You know, we don't always know how to do it. But I think if we intend to transform things, I think intention is so important. You know, it doesn't mean you, you, you're deciding what the outcome is. Intention, that lovely phrase from the Tao Te Ching, you know, do your work, then step back. That is the way to serenity. Do your work, then step back. And you have the intention to inform things. I think, you know, the tools do come your way. I remember one time uh, with someone that I, I knew really well for years. And, you know, when I was in advertising, we used to go out and stuff like that. And then the moment I got into spirituality and religion, you know, the whole thing went completely sour. Uh, and we'd meet up, and it seemed that we had absolutely nothing in common. He would talk about his work, uh, which I had no interest in, and I would bang on about what I was doing, and, you know, he had no interest in spirituality, and, you know, that went down like a lead balloon. You know, he thought I was just brainwashed, you know, so there was absolutely nothing between us, and I, I really worried about this because we'd known each other for such a long time. And then, you know, one night, it's true this, I had a dream, and I knew exactly how to solve this problem. And I rang this person up and said, I'd like to meet you for lunch. And, you know, we got together for lunch. And this time, when he started talking about his work, I asked him questions. I said, and, you know, the, the, this particular equities market, you know, how does it work? And he just started going on and, you know, he lit up and became interested in and, you know, we started talking, and I listened, and I asked questions, and he completely lit up. And, you know, that was 25 years ago. And we've been the best of friends ever since, because we listen to each other. And, you know, I'm, I don't care what he's talking about. I ju <laughs> I'm just interested in him. I, I just want him to be able to light up with me, and, and you know, stuff like that. And, and you know, we really engaged over this period of time. The key thing was that I gave up the idea of just getting from him and gave him my interest and my attention. And because my friendship, my friendship was more important than holding on to the reason for our distance. And, and, and it did come to me in a dream that. And we all have the possibility of changing things that have been stuck for years if we are able to let go of our pride, our right opinions, and just be compassionate, like the father in the story. And you know, you can't do it from your minds. It has to come from our hearts. It has to come from our hearts, from the place of love. We have to open ourselves to receive from others, even if it's painful, and give back with that wonderful balm of love. You know, that definition of love, it's, it, definition of love, which is, is to give with no expectation of return. So you're giving with no expectation that they're going to come back to you in a nice way, but you're giving with no expectation of return, and that is the most you can do. You're not trapping them in some way. You're not saying you have to do this. You're giving with no expectation of return. And it's only through this that you will be able, as it says in the Bible, to make all things new. To make all things new. And our role in embodying the values that we hold dear is to live them out in our lives.
with our friends, with our family, at work, at the stoplight, in the grocery store. We have to shine as a light in the world to the glory of that ground of being that has brought us into the world for this very reason. That's why the holiday season, the holy day season, that's why the holiday season is so important. It's a chance to remake our relationships, to have our family be at peace with itself, to witness that there's another way of living beyond diversiveness, and to show that in truth, in truth, there are no others. We are all in it together. Let's pray. We do pray for everybody on this holiday season. We pray for those who are traveling, those who are coming here to visit, those who are working here um, in the hospitality industries, supporting people who are coming to visit. Pray for all those in difficult circumstances that are not able to celebrate. People alone, homeless, hungry, not able to afford all the things that we would like to have. Pray for ourselves that we're able to embody that sense of peace and love within our families. And we pray for our world at this time. We pray for those who are in difficult situations, in subject to the weather, people subject to war zones, people unfairly incarcerated in various ways, people in prisons, people in unjust regimes, people trapped in lifestyles that they can't get out of. We pray that your love and strength and peace may enter into the hearts of our leaders and those in authority to communicate the possibility of recovery and of a sense of peace in the world. Particularly pray for all those in hospitals. Pray for those who've been suffering at the moment, particularly uh, Rita Hunter. Pray for Elizabeth Morrow, who had brain surgery on Friday. Uh, pray for Pat Smith. Brett McKenzie, pray for Elizabeth, Robin Morse on her pregnancy, Connie Urquhart recovering from back surgery, pray for Ryder Friday, pray as well for Michael Abdo who's uh, gone into hospital in Denver for extensive tests. And also we just uh, think of the family of Barbara Bloomsmith's aunt who uh, died last week. We offer all these uh, to your loving care.